Ford Meyer's man flies halfway around the world to welcome a new addition to his family. And today, he returned home from a trip to China. By his side, a three-year-old boy that he and his wife are adopting. It is a start of a new chapter in the couple's life. And as Adam, uh, NBC2's Chad Oliver reports, many of those who helped make this day possible are also taking part in the celebration. Southwest Florida International Airport, a place that sees 90,000 takeoffs and landings each year. Few carry this much anticipation. He's, he's actually going to be here. He is a three-year-old boy from China, abandoned as an infant. You know, he's cried out so many times since he was born, and no one came. Carrie Rudd and her husband, Paul, already have two grown children, but they felt the need to adopt from China. A year ago, they learned Gates would be their new son. Finally, Paul got the okay to fly to China for pickup, and on Father's Day, started the journey home. This afternoon, relief. There's only two words. He's home. As for the 15-hour flight from China to the U.S.? He uh, slept. I stood for five hours while he slept in both of our seats. <laughs> About two dozen friends and family showed up at the airport to celebrate. Many from Next Level Church who helped the Rudd family raise the $15,000 to pay for the adoption. You know, it's just unbelievable to watch a family like this uh, make the sacrifice. And as a church, we were just excited to be a part of it. So many people know about Gates' story thanks to the Internet. The Rudd family created an online blog called Gates Waits. Since March, the family's been updating every day, sometimes more. And it just seemed like there was one delay after the other in this past year, including the H1N1 swine flu virus thing. Two things make this so unique. The vast majority of international adoptions are girls. Gates is a boy. Intestinal problems make him a special needs child. Everybody while I was in China was always saying, you know, oh, he's so lucky, he's so lucky. And all I could say was, no, I'm, I'm the lucky one to have him. And he has blessed our lives. He's going to grow up in the best country in the world. He's going to get a shot. And every kid deserves their shot. Reporting in Lee County, Chad Oliver, NBC2. And Gates' first meal with his new Lee County family. What else? Homemade macaroni and cheese. Isn't that awesome, you guys? I am so fired up now. Good news. We have Gates, and he is with his dad, Paul, this morning. And they are here. Paul works on our security team, and uh, they are here. Now, here's the thing. We don't want to freak him out because he's kind of new to America, and we don't want him to get a bad impression. Okay, so I need you to smile real big. And rather than applaud, can we all just wave at Gates as he comes out? Come on out, Paul. Come on out, Gates. This is all. Gates, hey, buddy. Come on, come on, wave. What's up, buddy? Awesome. You guys, I just want you to know that I was reading um, your blog the day that you were flying home from L.A. I was flying home from D.C. And um, I was sitting in the airport on my phone reading your blog and just honestly just tears running down my face as I as I read this story. I mean, this is Independence Day. This is this is freedom. And Paul and Carrie, when I think about what you guys have done to bring freedom to a captive, freedom to a boy who, who knows what his fate would have been in China. And you guys did the impossible and made it happen. And you let us be a part of that. Man, I want you to know you're my heroes. You're my heroes. We love you guys, man. We love you. I love you, Gates. Glad you're here, buddy. Welcome to Nathan. <laughs> also, thanks, man. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. Yeah. It's freedom. It's freedom, and we're a part of it. We're a part of it. 
seeing captives set free. I mean, when we think of Fourth of July, Independence Day, it's freedom, isn't it? It's, it's, we do live, like Carrie said on the video, we live in the greatest country on earth. Freedom being set free from bondage, that no, no prisons, no walls, no restrictions. And I'm just so thankful for freedom. You know, it's, it's, it's cool to hear a story like Gates' story and to have a part in that. But can I just tell you, it is just amazing to hear the stories of life change that, that come from all of you as well. I mean, when I think of the hundreds and hundreds of stories that, that are emerging, the emails we get, the voicemails we get of, of you guys saying, man, that moment God changed my life. That moment I crossed the line of faith and put my faith in Jesus. That moment I was set free from bondage. I'm telling you, that's what it's all about. That's what independence is all about. See, it's so, so easy, though, I think, for a lot of us because when we think of freedom, the, the reality is I think somewhere in our, our unconscious mind, we think that freedom looks a whole lot like being the guy in charge, right? That, that that's what is freedom. A lot of us think, you know, if my boss would just step down and let me have their job, freedom. That's what I'm talking about, Free, right? I mean, it's, it's that feeling of, you know, if I could call the shots, if I was the one with all of the power, then I'd be free. That somehow in our subconscious mind, we think that, that being the guy in charge, being the one with all of the power, that that is truly what freedom is all about. Well, today as we celebrate Independence Day together, I want to look at a story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24, where we're introduced to two men who have an exchange. And the one was very powerful in terms of, of his position in the political system, his position in the world. And what we're going to look at in this story is one man had all of the power, but wasn't free. The other man actually lived in a jail cell, but had tremendous freedom beyond anyone's scope or imagination. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. The verses will be on the screens around me. I know you'll be able to follow along. And as you're turning to Acts 24, let me kind of set the story up. Basically, one of the, the characters, one of the individuals in this story is the great Apostle Paul. Now, a lot of us know maybe a lot about the Apostle Paul. He's one of the leading figures in the book of Acts. The back in, in Acts chapter 8, chapter 9-ish, the Apostle Paul goes through conversion experience that up until this moment in the book of Acts, he's been like a, a, a Christian hater. Like he's persecuted the church, he's killed Christians, I mean just nasty, nasty stuff. And he has like this one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus and Jesus knocks him off his horse. He goes blind for like three days, he gets led away, God prays for him miraculously, his sight is restored, and then he kind of like falls off the scene for like 14 years and just, he gets goes into, into hiding, basically, where God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is basically like getting all of the old junk out of this guy named Paul and putting all of the new stuff in and just one revelation after another after another until Paul emerges in Jerusalem again and he comes knocking on the, you know, the apostles' door and he's like, hey, you guys, what's up? Good news. I used to kill you. Guess what? I'm on your team now. And they're all like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 not so fast. Let's see here, buddy, right? So they finally can, you know, they, they're convinced that Paul is one of the good guys now. And so basically he just starts ministering. So Paul comes back into Jerusalem and God is using this guy like crazy. He's, he's raising up leaders. He's planting churches. He's taking missionary journeys and, and, and just all, traveling all over, just being mightily used of God. But here's the thing. The more mightily God used the apostle Paul, the more persecution from the religious sector started to rise. 
So here's this religious, this Jewish religious sector who's just looking on at the Apostle Paul and the miracles that God's doing and the leadership and, and just, just, you know, the missionary, the whole deal. And so finally, these, this religious sect thinks they got enough goods on this guy that they can actually arrest him and take him to court. Because they're like, we got to get him off the street. So Paul is this popular figure now. God is using this guy. He's raised him up. And then they, he gets arrested. And so here we are as we're moving up toward Acts 24. And Paul's been arrested, and these religious guys have got these, got these trumped-up charges. And the, the best they can do in terms of charging the Apostle Paul, disturbing the peace. Okay, as a guy who had to wake up early the morning after the 4th of July, I've got a few other people that need to be charged with disturbing the peace. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway, let it go, Matt. So, so they trump up these charges with the Apostle Paul. They're like, they bring him into the court, and guys, the place goes crazy. I mean, the, the, the city just is in an uproar. It's like OJ trial. Like, it is seriously Judge Ito, the whole deal. It's like nutty. People are rioting. People are going crazy until they actually have to guard Paul, the prisoner, Paul, with 200 armed soldiers. And it gets so nutty that they can't even complete the trial. So they have to send Paul away to a nearby city called Caesarea. And so the only way they can get Paul from where they were to Caesarea is by smuggling him out in the middle of the night with 200 soldiers. That's the only way they can get him out of town. So in Acts 24, we're in Caesarea. That's where we pick up the story. And the Apostle Paul is basically being uh, brought up for trial. But because of all of the riots, because of all the chaos that surrounds this guy, they can't even put him in the real jail. They had to put him in a holding cell in a jail in the bottom of the governor's palace. So the only place that Paul can be is in the governor's palace because that's the only place they can make sure that the riot doesn't break out and do harm to him. So there he is living in the governor's jail cell. And now he's brought before the governor, whose name is Felix, who holds all of the power for this region of the country. And here are his accusers. So in Acts 24 is where we pick up the story. We're in the courtroom. Felix is there. Imagine it with me. The apostle Paul is standing there, and the religious accusers start bringing up their accusations, and they're just naming one after another and just going and going and going. And Paul finally, he's like, as soon as they're done, I'm going to talk. And so he's like, can I talk now? Sure, go ahead. He thanks Felix. Appreciate it, Mr. Governor. It's great to be here. Appreciate the fact that you've got all the power here. But let me just tell you something. You and I both know these guys are full of it. It's never going to happen. These, you, you and I both know these guys don't have the evidence. Matter of fact, he even tells them, if you want someone who actually does have evidence against me, you should call, his name is Lysias. L-Y-S-I-A-S. Call him, get him, because he can probably do a better job accusing me than these guys can. I mean, he's given the governor. He's like, here's a witness. Go call him. Right in the whole deal. And look at verse 13. They cannot prove to you the charges they're making against me. And the governor's like, you know what, man? You're right. But look, verse 14, the apostle Paul goes on right here. This is where we pick up the story. Because he says, you know what? If you want to accuse me of anything, if you, if you want... If I'm guilty of anything, verse 14, look, I do admit that I worship the God of our ancestors, and then he makes this statement, look at this, as a follower of the way. Mr. Governor, Mr. Man who holds all of the power, if you want to convict me of something, here's what you can convict me of. 
worshiping the God of our ancestors. And then he makes this statement, and this is a critical phrase. He says, I worship the God of our ancestors, not like these other religious guys, not like all of the religious people of the past. No, no, no. I worship him as a follower of the way. And the minute he said that, everyone in the courtroom knew exactly what he was talking about. Because everybody has heard of this this way. Everyone's heard that, that these people, this sect of people, we would call them Christians today, that these people think about God differently than everybody else. These people actually believe that when Jesus came, that he was truly the Messiah. These people actually believe that Jesus died on the cross, not as a man, but as, a, as God in the flesh, to pay for the sin of mankind. And, and they believe in the resurrection. They believe that Jesus, three days later, rose from the dead. And that if we'll put our faith in him. Okay, so, so when Paul says, if you're going to find me guilty, find me guilty of worshiping God and believing in Jesus and the resurrection. So there sits Felix, right, Mr. Governor, on the, on the deal, looking at the thing. And he's listening to the deal, and he basically looks at Paul, and he says, Paul, I totally know these guys are bogus. They don't got what it takes to try you. Matter of fact, let's send for this Lysias dude, this whoever you're talking about. Let's send for him. And in the meantime, you just go back to the holding tank in the bottom of the palace. How's that? Look, look verse 22. Then Felix, who was acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. He's like, you know what, guys? This is, this is silly. You guys go away. Find this Lysias dude whenever and wherever he might be. And Paul, you go back to the palace. But notice the phrase in here. Look what it says. Then Felix was acquainted with the way. However it happened, our homeboy, the governor, knew about Jesus. He had heard about this group of people who believed that Jesus wasn't just an ordinary man, that, that believed that Jesus was the Savior of the world. He believed in the resurrection. That's, that's going to be important here in a second. Check this out, verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, who had a, who had a spiritual side, by the way, and he sent for Paul and, and listened to him as he spoke about faith. Okay, okay, time out. Put yourself in the story. Here's what's going on. Basically, it just so happens that the almighty, all-powerful governor named Felix was married to a woman named Drusilla, here forth to be known as Drew, okay? And guess what? It just so happens that Drew, Silla, is spiritual. So can you see it? Felix and Drusilla getting ready for dinner, hanging out. She's putting on the makeup. He's hanging out in the bedroom watching, waiting on her, because that's what we do, man. Let's be honest. Don't be honest. Don't be honest. Don't be honest. And he's sitting there, and they're having this conversation, and all of a sudden, they're probably starting to, honey, you'll never believe it. A few days ago, this dude came by. His name is Paul. You ever heard of Paul? He's with the way. He's, you know, he's, he's one of the Christians. And can't you see Drusilla go, what? What? Paul? He's, he's, he's living in the basement of our palace? What? And so apparently Felix and Drusilla get into this huge spiritual conversation. And they're, they're like, well, let's, sure, he's here. You want to talk to him? He seemed, he seemed nice. Absolutely. So they go into dinner to have a little Caesarean cuisine, I'm sure. Then they're like, go get Paul. So somebody goes down to the dungeon and is like, hey, yo, Paul, guess what? 
Governor wants to see you, and so can't imagine. Here's, you know, Felix and Drusilla sitting at the table eating their Caesarean cuisine, and here comes Paul, all handcuffed and chained. He walks in. How's it going, everybody? Nice to see you. Good to see you. I hope your cuisine is nice, because I've been eating jail food. So here comes Paul, and Felix is like, you know, Paul, interesting thing. Me and the wifey were talking, and uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this whole Jesus thing and the whole, you know, tell us, tell us more. And so, verse 24, so Paul starts in and he starts talking to him. Now remember, Felix is acquainted with the way. That means that he and his wife had an understanding about the basic beliefs of Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus was the Messiah, forgiveness of sin. Okay, so Paul goes quickly through that. And then look at verse 25. This is where it picks up. Look at this. As Paul talked about righteousness, uh-oh, self-control, not something a lot of politicians have. And the judgment to come. Yeah, Felix was afraid. Okay, again, time out. Put yourself in this dinner. Felix, the most powerful man in the region, his lovely wife beside him, invite you, Paul, the prisoner, to come on up for a little dinner conversation. You sit down, and they're like, tell us about the way. And you're like, yeah, Jesus is resurrected. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm into that, I'm into that. You know, Felix just eating his, doing the deal. And then Paul's like, okay, well, since you get all of that, let me take it a little deeper. This Jesus, yeah, he actually, he wants us to live righteously. And can't you see Felix is like, Mm-hmm. What, go on. Well, yeah, Mr. Governor, don't, don't you understand that this Jesus, it's not just get your ticket to heaven and go on with however you want to live. Jesus has a right way of living life for us. Felix, you know, mouthful, all right, pass the Caesar salad, you know, okay, here comes the whole deal. And so Paul's like, listen, that means that it matters how we live. And Paul starts going at the governor the most powerful man in the region, the man who coincidentally holds your trial in his hands. And he says, yeah, you know what that means? It means it matters how you treat the poor, Mr. Governor. It means it matters about how you live your life in a right way that honors God. It means you've got to show compassion and you can't cheat people and the governor's starting to squirm, right? Then Paul takes it a step deeper. Oh, and by the way, Jesus... Little thing called self-control. And can't you see the governor getting a little agitated like a washing machine? He's kind of like... And Paul's, he just lays it on. Self-control, you know what that means? It means that Jesus cares about how you live, Mr. Governor. It means that you shouldn't be looking at the servant girls when they're walking by through the palace. It means you don't go skimming off the top of the budget and keeping it for yourself. And at this, now the governor's getting agitated, so Paul takes it. A little deeper, what's he saying? He says, oh and, oh, and by the way, if you're interested in hearing about the teachings of Jesus, well, he happens, just so happened, to talk about a little thing called judgment. You know what that means, Mr. Governor? It means that you're accountable for everything you do and don't do. And Paul's just laying it on him. Well, at this, as we saw in verse 25, the governor gets a little spooked. Look what it says. He was afraid, and look, the governor says, oh, look at the time. 
Well, that's enough for now. No, 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 Paul, really. You sound a little hoarse, and you're going to be late for the jail time food session. So why don't you scurry on back to the basement? Because me and the lovely need to stop talking about this. And so they usher Paul out. Can't you see the governor being like, guards, uh, go ahead. uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then look at the statement that Felix makes to the apostle Paul. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. When, When it fits my schedule, we're good. I'll make some time. When, when, it, when, when, when I'm in a good mood, I'll find some time for you. When it's convenient for me, I'll entertain thoughts about this faith in Jesus thing that you're telling me about. See, verse 26 goes on and it actually exposes the motive of the governor. Most powerful man, look. As Paul was leaving, at the same time, look at this. Here's the reason why he called him up to dinner. He was hoping he'd offer him a bribe. Felix was hoping that he could, he could have dinner with, with the great apostle Paul and strike a deal. Hey, Paul, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Here's what I mean. I know that you're in tight with Jesus. I know that you understand things about this old Jesus and the resurrection thing, which I'm actually quite interested in. And if you'll figure out a way, if you'll tell me a way that I can have a relationship with Jesus that's easy and convenient, this whole trial thing that you're in, this whole mess, guess what? I'll make it go away. You show me how to just have a convenient faith with Jesus I'll set you free. He was hoping that Paul would give him an easy way to serve God. Look at this, second part of verse 26. At the same time, he was hoping Paul would make a, a deal. And then it says this, look, he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Verse 27, When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor, not to Paul, but to the Jewish guys, yeah, he left Paul in prison. Two years, two years. He hung out with Paul. He said he visited me. Hey, you know what? Go get that one dude. I want to talk to him. For two years, he frequently had conversation with the greatest apostle who ever lived. And at the end of two years, Felix didn't get it. He didn't get that serving Jesus isn't about convenience. It's about conviction. And can I tell you something? One of my greatest fears as a pastor, one of my greatest fears as a leader in our church, one of my greatest fears as a leader in the body of Christ today is that it is possible for so many of us to attend so many great churches like this one for years. It's possible for us to read our little soap guide and pray over our lunch Pray with our kids before they go to bed. It's possible for us to do that for years in our life and miss it 
and never understand that the true power of the gospel is not found in a convenient truth, but it is found in a convicting one. That haunts me. It haunts me to think that it's possible that there are hundreds of us listening today who have a convenient faith, not a convicting one. Who walk around going, oh, I love Sunday mornings. Good coffee. Thanks for the donuts. Wet wipes for the kids. Brilliant. But the minute our faith becomes non-convenient to us, we start to back away like Felix did. Oh, look at the time. Well, you know, it was so late last night with the fireworks. I'm tired. Well, you know, Sundays, I just, I, I, I can't get out of bed. It's not convenient. Oh, I can't get my teenagers to, to Wednesday night. I, I, I've had a long, I've had a long day. It, it, it's convenient, Matt, to live with my boyfriend. You don't understand how much it would cost if we both got our own place. Matt, listen, when, when I get that next job promotion, my boss has already told me that my schedule's going to lighten up, and then I'll be able to, to spend more time with my wife. Then I'll be able to, to prioritize my kids like Jesus would want me to. Then it'll be convenient. Matt, you don't, you don't understand how awkward it is to hand somebody a little red invitation card. That's just, it's just, it just wasn't convenient this week. And it just, you know, Matt, when, when, when we get out of debt, then we're going to do what Jesus said and, and tithe and put God first in our finances. When, when we fully fund the retirement account, Matt, then, well, listen, Matt, when our schedule slows down, it will be more convenient for us to lead or be a part of a connection group. See, my greatest fear as a leader is that you and I, Living in the greatest country in the world that happens to empower us to convenience amazingly well. That you and I could sit here for years and miss the conviction, which is where the true power and life of God is. And we, like Felix, would get so caught up in our own convenience that when it doesn't fit my schedule, then when it doesn't work with my priorities or my timetable, I'm, then fine, I don't got time for God. I only have a relationship with Jesus when it's convenient. And my greatest fear as a leader is that for so many of us, that is exactly what we have. We have a convenient faith, not a convicting one. How is it possible that Felix spent two years with the greatest apostle who ever lived, with, with the man that we continue to this day to name churches, cathedrals, and children after? He spent two years with the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Do you know what some of us would give to spend two years with the great Apostle Paul? And he did. And yet he missed it. And my heart as a pastor, my heart as an influencer in your life is that you and I would not miss it as well. We would not just have a convenient faith, but we'd have a convicting one. 
So this morning as the worship team comes back, I want to ask us a question. What kind of faith do you have? Is it convenient? Is it a convenient faith that says, yeah, but Matt, where are we making excuses for not responding? Where is there sin in our life? Righteousness, that's where Felix got hung up. Where's there sin in our life that we're trying to excuse? Self-control. Where are there decisions that we're making that we hope that we're actually deceiving ourselves to believe that these decisions we make actually are, are isolated and they won't affect anybody else, only me, and even then it won't affect my future, it just affects my present. Where, where, are, we, where are we fooling ourselves? And accountability. Where, where are we kidding ourselves? That everything we do and say doesn't have consequence. Let me get this straight. We want to live however we choose. And, and we want to blame God when it doesn't go well. And we call that freedom. You know what I think God calls that? Bondage. So this is Independence Day. This is Fourth of July weekend. I just felt so strongly this entire week that there are many of us, many of us who have a convenient faith that as long as God fits in my box, we're cool. But the minute we start going into any deeper level, I'm out. This morning, I want us to pause for a few moments as we conclude our time. And I hope that many of us will begin even now to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That even as we sing these words of this new song that we learned earlier, my hope and my prayer is that we would respond right where we're seated to the voice of God who's saying, that, it's not okay. You've been ignoring me. You've been running from me. You've been living in your convenience, hoping that it would all just work out. Hoping it would bring freedom. Convenience doesn't bring freedom. It brings bondage. But responding to the Holy Spirit, that doesn't bring bondage. That brings freedom. So God, today I pray you would open our hearts, Lord, across this place, Lord, even those who are listening online or watching online, Lord, I pray that even in the stillness of this moment that this would just be a God space where you would convict our hearts. Lord, we want to live in freedom. God, would you take our convenient faith that we've been clinging to and would you put it away and replace it with a convicting faith that leads to freedom in life?